Hello and welcome into a special episode of Oyster Boys Radio, a college football recruiting podcast. And it is special because we are popping the bubbly behind the scenes because the Oyster Boy himself, Andrew Ivins, just got a promotion. The Prince of Florida, he has a new title, the Director of Scouting of 24-7 Sports. Andrew, congratulations, my friend. How how are you feeling, dude? Because I know right now you were just drinking through a fire hose. You're just on the recruiting show. You're breaking down the 32 five-stars. We have a new release that comes out tonight. A lot of bullets flying. I know it's a little chaotic. I hope you've had some time to celebrate. No celebrating, just powering through. I appreciate it. So are we going to go Prince of Florida or are we going to go Director of Scouting? Are we just going to go back Prince of Florida first. (laughs) Director of Scouting second. No, you will be known as the Prince of Florida on this show forever and always. But it's where you get to let down your hair a little bit, Drew. But, um, I mean, why don't we get right into it? A a new rankings release, an important one. I think the further we get in the process, the more accurate the rankings become. I think we've all felt that way. A lot of sweat equity went into this one. A lot more detailed debates, conversations. You know, you're you're having more of those conversations on the back end of the top 247 than you would – that that's more than uh, customary. I think at that point, a lot of those conversations usually take place in the top 100, but a lot of detail top to bottom here, Drew, but there's going to be some changes now to the top two, four, seven, and exclusively the five-star process as well as our rankings are going to be more fluid, which means guys are going to be named as five stars earlier in the process, starting in the spring before their senior seasons, 24, seven sports will now name 32 five stars but with that five stars can also get taken away drew because there there's a lot uh, of of the evaluation process still left in that senior year from the spring to the summer all the way to the fall and then postseason events in the all-star game so a lot of changes drew but i mean just your overall thoughts on our process where it's going i know to me and you we've talked about this for a while so none of this really surprising but how do you really think this kind of impacts the big picture going forward well, I think we need to go back to when I was a young buck and I first started at 24-7 Sports. I mean, since I've been with the company and Barton Simmons kind of laid the, the framework for this, you know, they did the 32 five-stars um, and, and that was to reflect the first round of the NFL draft. And um, the NFL draft has served as the compass for our rankings. I mean, I say it all the time, everyone wants to toss out hey he's a three-star he's a four-star he's doing this on Saturdays well when we're judged the most is that last weekend or last week of of April first week of May or or what whatever it is when the NFL draft is and they see a guy get selected and oh he's a three-star you know we want that that selection to be a four-star to reflect a a future pick And, and since I've been here I mean it's been a methodical, long process to name that fifth star. I mean, once you got the fifth star, you, you normally wouldn't lose it. And I'll never forget at the opening finals when Amon Ra St. Brown, who is now with um, the Detroit Lions there in the NFL, uh, he got like a battlefield promotion. They, they came back and all the analysts decided to award him the fifth star. And I thought that was cool. Um, and now as I shift into this role, we're, we're trying to ramp things up and I think cha- change is a good thing. You know, the folks in Nashville, they want, they want more five stars because they're tired of us calling Dante, Dante Moore a, a four star when we know he's going to be a five star. So that's the thought process behind it. And I think Coop, it's going to hold me and you um, 
more accountable, right? And, and this is a data-driven process. And you know, they came to me and they said, "Hey, well, let's let's get these thirty-two five stars." Um, you know, at, when these kids are midway through their junior seasons, I'm like, "Hey, that's not realistic. We would like to get some more data points." You got a lot of big camps there in, in February and um, yeah, the other winter months. So no, it's exciting. It's different. Um, and I'm all for it. You know, it, it's going to make us have to work harder because the last thing we want to do is be pulling these away. And, and, and the final thing I'll say, because I know I'm rambling here. I mean, this is supposed to reflect a, a front office's uh, big board. This is their war room, right? You know, when when a front office shifts from one draft cycle to the next, those scouts, they're rebuilding the board and they're going to go top to bottom, right? They don't know where they're picking in that first round. They have to do all the homework and all that stuff. So that's how our board's going to come together. We're going to have that 32 and we're going to work off of that. You talk about the the process of naming 32 five stars earlier in the process. And, you know, our folks up in Nashville who ultimately make the decision, some people call it Smashville, but <laughs> There is this marriage and emphasis on the combination of you're trying to find the balance between entertainment and substance. And for us, I think, obviously, like I, I just made this statement at the at the beginning of the show, we feel better about our decisions later in the process because that is when we have the most information at our fingertips, right? We are in December of the majority of the players in the top 247 senior year. A lot of these guys have already wrapped up state championships. We've already seen the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game played last week in Mobile. We will have the All-American Bowl played in January in San Antonio in the first week. We'll also have the Under Armour uh, All-Star game as well. So those are really going to be our last exposure points to the prospects in this process. But there's also a lot of time for things to to shuffle around and, and especially at the top. So I'm glad you brought that up and, and really from 30,000 feet, as I always allude to what goes into our, our decision-making process and how we arrived here, but let's get into it, Drew. Let's get into the nitty gritty in the top 32, not a ton of change, um, but a couple of new names in the top 32. And I want to start with a guy that has impressed us through the process really shot up the board into the top 247, into the top 150 in April of this year. Fast forward all the way to December, he is now a top 20 prospect in the country, and that is David Hobbs, a guy that we have talked about quite a, quite a bit on this podcast, defensive lineman out of North Carolina, committed to the Tennessee Volunteers, and this was a recruitment that a lot of people had circled. I mean, it really came down to Georgia and Tennessee at the end of the day, but Drew – David Hobbs, when we turned on the tape, I, I think across the board, there was a lot of conviction that there was no doubt in our mind that this was one of the better players in the 2023 cycle. I mean, he's a snub from the freaks list, right? He's a guy that a lot of people don't move like he does for his size. And I don't think we knew as much as we did about him then as we do now. And that's why it's easier. And we're going to see him at an all-star event, get to size him up. Coop, I have this question for you, and I know you're going to be aggravated I'm going in this direction, but he's committed to Tennessee, right? He's probably going to go play for Josh Heupel. Like, does Tennessee get him if they're not piecing together the season that they did? Because I, I think it's no, even in the NIL era, right? Like, relationships are still there, but I think it's still important that, like, 
that is a product of having that season and getting him in the stadium with the checkerboard and all that stuff. Because I remember there was a time when some of my contacts thought like, hey, this kid is locked, signed, sealed, and delivered to Georgia, and now he's going to go play for a division rival. I think the answer to that question is no. And I think once Tennessee had the season that they had, I think everybody knew in Josh Heupel's first season in Knoxville when they went seven and six that, okay, Tennessee might have something in here. And then when they got off to the start that they got off to this season and really kind of had the remarkable season that they had, I mean, they were able to build and sustain a lot of momentum on the trail. And then you got the sense that, okay, Tennessee is here to stay. They're going to be a contender year in and year out in the SEC East. And I think that gave a lot of prospects comfort and security as they looked to Knoxville and saw a guy at the helm and Josh Heupel that was going to be the centerpiece of that program for years to come. And guys like David Hobbs, who really enjoyed his visit there in Tennessee, give him a lot of credit. They did a really good job identifying him earlier than some of the other top tier programs in the country. And they got their hooks in and they're rewarded with it because I think David Hobbs, Drew, we got him at 20 right now. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he's kind of knocking on the door in between that 10 to 15 range after we see him in San Antonio at the All-American Bowl. I mean, we're talking about 6'4 and change, 275 pounds plus. You know, I've talked about this guy a lot, but he's a three-phase player. He averaged almost 15 points a game, 14.7 at his high school in North Carolina that went went on to win a two-way state championship. So this is a guy that's a big-bodied athlete. And in the evaluation, you know, that I wrote yesterday in, in the article that came out today talking about the newest additions to the five-star arena, he's a graceful mover for as big as he is. Like, there's a beauty to the way that he moves at 275 pounds. But at the point of attack, he is quick to remind you how he is different from his peers. His ability to go speed to power, the arm length that he has. Right now, he is wreaking havoc off the edge in a two-point stance. He can play with his hand in the dirt as well. I fully expect him to play uh, inside at the next level, and I think he's going to grow into an interior body. And I think this guy is is uh, the ultimate interior rare pass rusher that can play the run and also give you some upside uh, from an interior pass rushing presence as well. So I, I love him. I love his game. I love the NFL comp we got on there. Rayshon Gary, uh, former Michigan player, former uh, five-star at the, at the top of the rankings. I think that's a great one who is utilized as an edge player on, on Sundays, or at least has been in certain roles for the, for the Green Bay Packers. I think that is a, that is a good one. Uh, who else you got as the potential well, I got a we got we got two LSU commits, which I know LSU fans would be happy because I think they've been starved uh, because they feel like they have a really good class. And at the top of that class, you got guys like Deshaun Womack and Zelance Herb. But let's start with Deshaun Womack from St. Francis in Baltimore. This is a guy drew for us, and I think when we saw him at the Future Fifty over the summer in July, elite on elite, and we saw the way that he dominated throughout that entire camp, up until the point where he ran into Francis Malagoa, who was arguably the best player in attendance that day. He was a guy, to me, that was one of the more physically impressive players. He had a he had a very explosive first step, very sudden as a pass rusher, but was just winning 
with brute force and brute, uh, brute strength. If he can develop as a technician in secondary pass rush moves, I think the, the, you know, the sky's the limit for Deshaun Womack. And I think he's going in a place with defense coordinator, Matt house and Baton Rouge who did a tremendous job this past year with guys like BJ Ojolari and Harold Perkins, setting them up for success and passing down situations. So I think there's a really good spot for him. No, for sure. I, I, it's a, it's a great addition. You know, he had some success when we, I scouted him against Francis Malagoa, who's our number two tackle inside that top five could finish number one. He's one of the few individuals that gave Malagoa some issues. No, I, I agree with everything you're saying here. He's good. I, I really want to talk about the next kids, the Lance Hurd, because he, he shoots up LSU commit guy. I saw back in July at, at Florida States, uh, elite camp Seminole showcase, I think it was called. And I liked him. Um, but then after you, you badgered me to watch the senior tape, I, I loved him and he shoots up into the top 32 for us. We think he is what Cooper, a prototypical left or, or right tackle, you know, depending on the depth chart situation ahead of him, we know that LSU has some good young bodies there at the bookend spots, but uh, Zalance heard, man, I mean, he, the way he moves, the way he bends, the way he pushes people out of the way, I think the future is extremely bright. What a luxury for LSU. I mean, you, you talked about them finishing the cycle strong last year once Brian Kelly arrived to Baton Rouge, and that's why it's important. Like, these three weeks are important for the exemplary reason that we've seen from Brian Kelly and LSU and what they did this past cycle. I mean, they finished that class. And they were in a position where they were in a good spot with Will Campbell at both Emory Jones. But regardless, they get two LOIs from some of the best players in the state. And then you just don't know how it shakes out sometimes. And then all of a sudden you get through the season and you look back at it and the two consistencies in LSU's offensive line unit are Will Campbell at left tackle and Emory Jones at right tackle. I think – and one of those guys that you probably projected to be a guard on Saturdays coming out of Catholic High and Baton Rouge and Emory Jones. So now they're in a situation with a guy like Zalance Hurd, where you look at Zalance Hurd, and, and if no disrespect to, to Will Campbell or Emory Jones, because I think a lot of what allowed them to play this year was not only circumstances, but both of those guys, elite level intangibles. And I think for Zalance Hurd to step into a situation where he can play day one, it's not going to be about talent, but can he adjust to the speed of the game quickly enough? And the talent there, Drew, I mean, when you talk about it, six, five and a half, 308 pounds, lean frame, 36 and a half inch arms. That puts him in the top 90% of NFL starters. He would have some of the longest arms in the NFL, regardless of position today. And then you look at that frame and you look at the athlete and the way that he moves, you know, I think initially I thought this was going to be a guy that would be your prototypical right tackle. I'm kind of changing my tune on that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like this uh, Tyron Smith, you know, a little bit stiff, but the feet are really quick. Uh, and it's a guy that knows how to utilize his frame. And when he gets his hands on you, it's over. And he plays with a little bit of nasty. I love him in the run game. I think where he's going to have to improve a little bit. And, and show that he can play at the next level immediately is going to be in pass protection, but his ability at his size to get out in space really comfortable at the second level. I, I love his competitive temperament and I love the way he plays the game and he's a finisher. And, and I think LSU right now, I said this today, 
is building the foundation of what I believe is going to be the best offensive line room in the country in a short amount of time. Well, it's easy because when we have to do the uh, <laughs> super relatives next next signing day, we already have what offensive lines penciled in, pass catchers is penciled in with uh, uh, Ohio State. So let's let's and Georgia's got the linebackers. It's it's setting up for an easy signing day show, Cooper. Yeah, I tell you what, that's a, a slam dunk, I think, as we call it. But Drew, last one in here, and this was this was a debated one. Yeah, this was a debated one for sure, and it was a good debate. Um, but it just goes to show, I think. If we discuss this the right way, I think it can tee up listeners to really get a good insight of, okay, how did we arrive at this conclusion when you are comparing two positions that aren't relatively similar and are on different sides of the ball? And that's tight end Deuce Robinson, a guy that moved in from 34 to 30, and James Smith that moved out from 22 to 33. And this was a really debated topic and let's start with deuce robinson first i mean drew six foot six plus 225 pounds a guy that is more of a receiving threat he's not your traditional why the the comp we have for him is darren waller of the las vegas raiders he's a complete mismatch option in the passing game and then you look at his background not only from a genetic background where both of his parents were college athletes his dad was a dual sport athlete highly recruited out of high school. His dad also gets drafted by the Minnesota twins out of college and then signs an NFL contract with the Rams, his mom, a swimmer at Florida. So genetically he's about as clean as they come. And we've (laughs) talked about the importance of genetics, right? And top, top top two picks or two of the top three picks in, in the, in the 2022 NFL draft, both of them had relatives that, that suited up on Sundays. Like, I don't think that's a coincidence, right? And, you know, the other thing with him is Deuce Robinson himself at six foot six plus is considered a legitimate major league baseball prospect himself. And there's been there's been some questions about him. And, and listen, we can talk about, hey, are, are the hands consistent enough? I dove into Deuce Robinson, Drew, a little bit more today. I mean, this is a guy that had over fourteen hundred yards receiving. He had 13 touchdowns this year and he averaged over 10, 110 yards per game in receiving. So statistic production along with the physical upside and the clay to mold. And to me, when you're looking at these dynamic pass catchers, which we're going to put him in the tight end category because he is the only lone tight end in the top 32, a lot of people gravitate and they say, okay, he's a 50-50 pass catching red zone option exclusively. And you'd be right. That's what Deuce Robinson is. He is a mismatch in that part of the field, but he's also a very smooth route runner for his size. He can create separation in multiple ways. And then when you talk about the catch radius, his ability to play above the rim, I think that's what makes Deuce Robinson uh, us comfortable putting him not only in the top 32, but I think this is a guy that can very comfortably outplay his current grade projection. And, And then one day, when it's time for his name to be called, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he's getting drafted within the top 20. The other, the other qualifier you're leading off with him, because I, I only profiled Deuce for the freaks list that I did back in August, is he is an Under Armour All-American in football and an Under Armour All-American in baseball. There's only been two other people that that's happened to. The first one's Kyler Murray, kind of a good quarterback. I know he got hurt in the first 
first snap or play number three on Monday night. Hopefully everyone got their betting slips refunded. I, I saw some some casinos and sports books were, were doing that. Uh, and then the other one's A.J. Brown, who is obviously a very good, talented NFL wide receiver. So what does that mean? I mean, there's only been three, two other guys that have done this, and, and they're both um, you know, impact players at the NFL level. So no, I, I agree. Uh, and the other thing Cooper, you got to bring up is we're going back and forth between a defensive lineman and a tight end. And, and I think everyone just assumes that tight ends are come off the board so early. And maybe it's a recency bias from what we've seen with Kyle Pitts going so high at number four overall to the Atlanta Falcons, but there really hasn't been a ton of day one, night one, tight end so that also was a little bit of the hesitation again we're using the nfl draft as kind of the map to figure out our position numbers and we went back and forth and i think ultimately what this came down to is me and you and gabe brooks the other guys on our 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 ranking staff we feel better in uh banking on deuce robinson right now based upon what we know than a guy like james smith now that could change two three weeks from now after i see james smith in person at the Under Armour game, and, and Deuce Robinson is going to be there as well. But I think people need to understand that's how the process works. It's not like we just see one thing and it's the end all be all. It's an information gathering process, you know. And I got to see James Smith earlier this season play live, and I like James Smith a lot. You know, the other thing about James Smith is we don't really have too many supplementary data points on him. We got to see a little bit of him during his time at IMG as a junior. We really liked him. Like, there's no doubt in my mind, James Smith is a top 32 talent. I just think there's more questions surrounding James Smith when it comes to this. And when you're trying to iron out your top 32, it's all about mitigating risk and maximizing potential. So that's why Deuce Robinson is in this spot. But Drew, a a nice little breakdown of the top 32, a nice little inside look there as well. But staying in the top 10, and this one, as crazy as it sounds, because I think once Keon Keeley decommitted, from Notre Dame I remember this like me and you were talking but you kind of put out there immediately like hey this one is trending towards Alabama and then it just kind of lasted a little bit longer than I think everybody thought we thought Alabama was uh, the leader in the clubhouse there they were uh, that was that was um, you know uh, validated yesterday but Ohio State was in the mix here heavy and, and you brought up some good points about Keon Keeley the football player like you thought that, hey, I wonder if he's chewing on this a little bit longer because of scheme. Yeah. Like, I wonder if he's looking at Ohio State and Larry Johnson is pushing the narrative of like, hey, come come be a 4-3, 5 technique. Chase Young. Right. You're going to be 275 pounds. This is an ideal fit for you rather than being a 3-4 four, four jack, jack linebacker, right? And – one, if you're Keon Keeley, I don't think you can go wrong here, right? Uh, one program selling Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, the other program, long lineage of pass rushers who have had success uh, on the Sunday levels. So that being said, Keon Keeley off the board, our number one defensive prospect in the top 247, ranked number four now. He jumps Cormani McLean. And Drew, there was kind of some debate around Keon Keeley a little bit, whether or not he should be in the spot, came down to position value, and we love his upside as a pass rusher. That being said, we love the player. We've talked a lot about Keon Keeley on here, but Alabama, they get their guy and are starting to sense the feeling. This is when Alabama, Nick Saban, he puts a chef, chef hat on. He starts to cook a little bit, and, and we're starting to get the feeling that they're not done. 
Well, he's the he's the true prince of Florida. I mean, oh, what is it? Over the past three years, they've they've taken twelve guys out of the Sunshine State. Dallas Turner's one of them. Ja'Cory Brooks is another one of them. Tyler Booker, who I think was on some freshman All American lists. I mean, Nick Saban at the end of the day still gets what he wants even in the NIL era. And that recruitment was interesting because we all thought, hey, it's going to be, he's going to Alabama, he's going to Alabama. And and then it plays out. He visits Ohio State multiple times, one officially, one unofficially. I mean, who knows how much that matters in the collective era and all that stuff. But he was there, um, went through the process, and he's going to suit up for the Crimson Tide. And I don't think Alabama is done. Um, We can talk about the defensive lineman, but I don't think they're done in Florida. Steve Wiltfong on... Tuesday afternoon, um, director of recruiting for 24-7 Sports. He fired in an Alabama forecast for Damari Brown, top 247 cornerback at a plantation, American Heritage. Everyone knows I love the corners that come out of there because, number one, they hit at the next level. And I've been hearing some Alabama buzz as well. A lot of people assumed Miami for Damari Brown, but um, – Got to watch out for for the Crimson Tide. I mean, Pat Sertain came out of that same school, went and got coached by Nick Saban. He's having some success, or a little junior the year before that. So certainly want to watch. And then and then Coop. I mean, a bunch of guys in your backyard are still in play for Alabama. Uh, James Smith, Quay Rousseau, uh, Who else is out in, in in the fold that they could potentially land? Well, that's a that's a good that's a good question. I know I just put you, there. Yeah, no, but why don't you tell uh, us who's committed? And yeah, no, we'll we'll go through that. I mean, what was interesting to me was to go to the Alabama Mississippi game and and see some of the defensive linemen that were from the state of Alabama that are not planning on playing at yeah. Alabama. I mean, like yeah, yeah, Kel- yeah, yeah. Like you Kel- look at Kel- like you go to this event, and you're like, wait, Bama's not taking this guy. Like Kelby Kel- Fox <laughs> going to Florida State. Like, what the heck is going on here? You know, the other one is Kelby Collins. How Florida got Kelby Collins out of the state of Alabama was extremely impressive. And you know, listen, man, like I like Hunter Osborne a lot, but if you were to stack him up against Keldrick Falk, Kelby Collins, and Peter Woods, he'd be the fourth player off the board there, in my opinion. And that's the one going to play in Tuscaloosa. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Hunter Osborne. I think he's going to be a fine player at the next level. But it was surprising to me. Like, Drew, you look at our rankings and you look at Keldrick Falk. We got him at 73, Collins at 74. And Peter Woods, for us, a top 64 player. Peter Woods, the most debated player in the top 247. I think that's safe to say. Um, It's just kind of fascinating. You, You know, you thought that, okay, they'd be a little bit more active in their home state. And that's not to say, Drew, like, Edger Kill's a really good player out of Missouri. Jordan Renaud's a really good player, a top 100 player for us. And the guy that I think they got a, a steal in was Yonze Pierre as an edge. Um, mm-hmm. Really love his developmental upside. But I got to say, it, it is when you kind of look, take a step back from the big picture, you would think their priorities would be a little bit different with who they decided to go with. Coop, I'm going to say this right now. Remember this conversation. Right, we're gonna be sitting there on the twenty-first in Fort Lauderdale on the desk. Steve's gonna be on his phone, and, and like they're gonna get someone we we're not talking about right now. Like, yeah, all those guys are committed elsewhere, but that doesn't mean they're not in play. I've learned that with Alabama plenty of times. I've seen this this story play out. I mean, the that, other one, yeah, no, that, go ahead. And that's not like inside intel, but like, I mean, you you never know. Tamari and Parker too, you know who I'm bullish on, top fifty player from. Uh, Central Phoenix City. I don't know. 
I don't know. Interesting to keep our eye on. But Drew, let's go to the, let's go to the ACC. Our boy Mike Norvell and, and all the Seminoles fans down there who love you, Drew. They're very excited. They told me to tell you congrats on the on the, on the new title. But anyway, Florida State. Me and you were kind of texting about this the other night. You know, Jaheim Bell, one of the more talented players in the portal, ends up deciding that he's going to take his talents down to Tallahassee. And this is like three years in a row now. We saw it with Jarrett Verse last year from Albany. We saw it the year before with Jermaine Johnson as well from Georgia, that it seems like Florida State has become this safe haven for top-end talent in the transfer portal. Well, I mean, isn't the term that's been tossed out there like transfer portal you like I feel like that bounces around from school to school. I'll just say this. I think Mike Norvell, he has his operation like dialed in right now. And I go back to the conversation I had with him when he was out on the road recruiting. And I think they were sitting right around 15 commits. Maybe they've added high keem since then. So they're they're still in that same. Uh, and I asked him, hey, what, what's the plan? Are you going to go high school? Are you on portal? He's like, I'm just going to try to take the best that's available. Um, but I think Florida State does think that right now, like this is the formula. This is the formula for them. This is the formula that's working. And I think from a roster management perspective and standpoint, it, it, it's certainly fascinating, right? Because Florida State, um, you know, they're in bowl practice prep, right? And, and the coaches can go out on the road right now, but they, they are in on these transfers before some of these other guys. They've also Devontae Brown, Devari Brown's brother, who's a cornerback at UCF. He visited. I just think Mike Norvell deserves some credit. They're going to have more guys coming in um, this weekend on, on visits. And, and look what he did last year. I mean, I, again, Jordan Travis is a, a guy people forget about. I mean, I mean, Johnny Wilson's a, a transfer. The running backs are all transfers. I mean, it's just Mike Norvell has it dialed in right now. And I think that is a testament to his, not only the guys on the field, but that off-field support staff and, and how he's allocated his resources. Give him a ton of credit, you know. I mean, it wasn't long ago before the season that I – what was the analogy I used? I think I said that they're a sailboat without any wind. Yeah. And, you know, you fast forward and out of the three, I think – this is an interesting question, but, you know, best long-term outlook. And I think it's easier to compare Florida and Miami right now because of when they got started, when, when Cristobal and Napier got there. And then you look at the year that Mike Norvell has had this year where he beats both – Miami and Florida, Florida state to me in the state of Florida has the momentum to me, big picture wise, the guy that I would be betting on would be Billy Napier in terms of the operation, the organization, the execution of what we've seen. But in terms of what we've seen on the field, the best product, no doubt in my mind, that's Florida state, both Miami and Florida have big question marks. They got to answer before going into next season. I mean, but Florida's got to get that quarterback situation figured out. I know they had Wisconsin quarterback transfer Graham Mertz on campus last week. So it, interesting to see. But, Drew, I mean, me me especially was really skeptical of the long-term outlook of Mike Norvell at Florida State. And he did a tremendous job this year, should get a lot of credit. But this is what you want to see. You want to take that on-field success and make sure that you can ride that into the offseason as you build your roster for years to come. And it seems like Florida State has continued to do that. But, Drew, you, you brought this up. I mean, like speaking of Florida right now, like you look at this situation, they got to play this Las Vegas ball on Saturday. 
Las Vegas, great place, by the way. I mean, I, I, I was at Washington when we were at the Las Vegas Bowl. I know a little sidebar, but dude, I'm, ta- I'm telling some, you, sidebar. I'm, I'm telling you this. Las like, Vegas, good city. It, <laughs> Sin City, baby. But the other thing is, that is not an easy place to be like held up for like six days. You know what I'm saying? Like we got there for a week and the first two nights were like ripping and roaring. By night three, you feel like you've aged a hundred years and you're like, get me out of here. And hold on. We still got to play a game, you know? So the guys in Florida and Oregon state, I can guarantee you they're having a good time right now in Las Vegas. There's just way too many distractions. The Las Vegas bowl does a great job with that. But point being right. You got all those distractions. You're in a pivotal year. If you're Billy Napier, you're in the middle of conducting in-home visits, right? Trying to batten down the hatches with the guys that are committed. You're still working on guys, getting in the boat. Oh, and by the way, you're still making calls coast to coast, trying to find the best players in the transfer portal to bring to Gainesville. You asked the question. It was a pretty straight-up question, but like, how much does it suck <laughs> to play this game on Saturday? And what I would say is, is like the game itself, the experience, is a lot of fun you being able to take that entire operation on the road is, is a completely different obstacle that you have to face. And listen, even when I was at Washington, the timing of this game, now that you have the transfer portal, we weren't in year two, you were more of an established program and organization. All your guys were, were planning to sign their LOIs just a week later. And actually it might've been signing day already because signing day is the 21st this year, right? Typically it's on the second yeah. week. Yeah. So this really stinks for for a program like Florida. Well, Florida had to do their big visit weekend this this past weekend, and I mean it was it was absolutely loaded. Jaden Platt. We went over it on on the last show. All the guys that got in, they picked up a, a commitment from transfer defensive lineman out of out of Louisville. I, I just think you know this is the scenario that the NCAA has rec- created with the transfer portal windows, with the early signing period with these bowl games, which are essentially exhibitions. It's just, I don't know, like, I, I think it sucks if you're Florida. And I, I also brought it up, like, do you subscribe to the theory that, like, you need to get the last face-to-face, like, because Florida's not getting the last face-to-face. Like, Napier needs, I'm sure there's appearances he needs to make out there for the bowl game. Like, you know, you had to see your top targets last week. You had to go see Mark Fletcher last week. So, like, do you think that matters? Or, like, no, it doesn't matter in, like, the NIL sphere (laughs) yeah i'm sure in some recruitments it does matter i mean it does matter to be to be the last one in the house i mean as crazy as that sounds as much information is flying back and forth between a recruit his family and his representatives that absolutely does matter and some people that just get in front of you like if i'm florida and i'm battling head to head with miami does it make me uneasy that Mario Cristobal is going to get yeah. the last word? Yeah, 100%. 100%, right? So that guy is one of the best closers in the game. I think, yeah, all, all that has to be considered. So something to think about. You know what, Drew? It also sucks for Jonathan Smith in, in Oregon State. It's not just Florida. It's any team well, playing right now. Did you see the tweet of him, like, working an officiating table at, like, his kid's basketball game? What a, what a different life, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I good just... for him. That's the way it should be. Yeah, that's the way it should be. Um, all right, speaking of the Pac-12, let's go out west. Let's go to Utah. Let's go to Salt Lake City. Let's talk about the man himself, Kyle Whittingham. Love his operation. Tweeted about it the other day. 
this guy right now, just every year you kind of look back, you look back and you're like, man, Utah in December, like where the hell do they come from? They're just like sitting in the mid forties, low fifties. And then all of a sudden, especially as of recently, the last couple of years, it gotten hot in December. That's kind of what they do. I feel like they just, they wear on you. And I feel like a lot of these prospects, what they do is they go through the process. They evaluate all their options. And Utah is just kind of sitting there saying, like, it's just a matter of time. So the cream rises to the top. How many times do we have to beat a team like USC, beat a team like Oregon, win back-to-back Pac-12 titles, and make back-to-back Rose Bowl appearances for you guys to see the big picture? But sometimes that's what it takes. And Drew, C.J. Blocker, a new addition, cornerback, uh, to our top 247, a guy that can absolutely roll. Love the fit there. Good football player, too. That's not just a <laughs> traits projection. Uh, Smith Snowden, like if you're looking for a Clark Phillips type of comp, I think this really? is a, a really good football player. I mean, the knock on Clark Phillips, Drew, was, was small. Was the size. Yeah. Our knock on Smith Snowden is the size. Yeah. When you look at Snowden, 10, 10 5, 4, 4, 6, 3, sub 4, 3 shuttle. He checks boxes. This is probably another guy that we're going to do our due diligence on over the next couple of weeks just to make sure, hey, this is not a guy we're missing in the top 247. And then you got Hunter Clegg, you know, who is just the definition of a perimeter edge pass rusher for Utah high motor. You know, a guy that can get to the quarterback. It's got a little salt to him. But we didn't even mention Spencer Fano, who's the highest ranked guy out of all those guys, right? So he's going to join his brother at Utah. And, you know, that's a guy we've gone back and forth on. Is he going to be a true tackle? Is he going to move inside? Regardless, really good player, really high floor position, versatile kid. I mean, Utah, Drew, you're looking at them right now, all of a sudden they're up to number 20 and they're still in play for guys like Walker Lyons, you know, who's been banged up a little bit this year, but one of the best tight ends in the country. So. Well, it, Coop, it's, it, they maybe go on the, you know, college football recruiting show we got and, I had to talk about teams that were off to non-impressive starts, and Utah was one of them. They were like 43 in the rankings. I'm like, I you told guys... you not to do it, though. Okay, but now they're up to number 20, and they're going to sign their highest-ranked recruiting class ever. It's like, hey, man, they're doing it. Like, I'm all here for it. And, and you know how invested I was in this before I put it on the sheet? Like, I went to see their future schedules. Like, what have they got lined up two to three years from now? Because, like... I, that roster is probably going to be as talented as it's ever been under Whittingham, and that should be scary. It's a player development program that gets the most out of uh, out of guys that aren't ranked the highest. And and now he's getting C.J. Blocker out of the Lone Star State that's just ripping off a sub-10-5 and, and, and is climbing in our rankings. Uh, I mean, it's it's impressive. And uh, bottom line, Utah, they play f- uh, f- host Florida next year, and they got no other SEC or Big Ten teams on the schedule, unfortunately. They're the most feared team. In like I would not 12. schedule that game at all. In the right? Pac-12. No, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's fascinating because, you know, the Utah-Florida game this year. But I remember, like, at Washington, at Oregon, it wasn't USC, it wasn't Oregon when we were at Washington, and it wasn't Washington when we were at Oregon. The team that you just wanted no business playing was Utah. And they could have a recruiting class – ranked in the top 40, they could have one ranked in the top 50. They'd still line up 12, 13 personnel and kick your ass. And they just play a tough style of football, and that's what I respect about Kyle Woodingham. He said it before they played the Pac-12 championship. 
we love the role of the underdog and everybody seems to overlook Utah year in and year out. And Drew, you said it. He is raising the ceiling of this team to a place that we have not seen before under his tenure. And you talk about guys like CJ Blocker and Smith Snowden and Hunter Clegg and Fano and so on and so forth. But now where it used to be a little bit like Lander Barton was one of our favorite guys last year, top 50 player, right. That emerged. They're continuing to stock stockpile talent. I think the biggest question for them is can they do what they need to do on the offensive end? I think they do an incredible job at every level defensively, but can they get enough dynamic playmakers, even through the portal guys like Tavion Thomas, to where they can actually be a factor come the college football playoff and an expanded 12-team format. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's wrap this thing up. we got one more note on here. Do you, yeah, do you I, I have no idea who this dude do, is, so oh, I'm going to just I, let you just – Well, i gotta, I got to tell you about – so Derek Hunter, junior college defensive lineman, bounced back out of Texas A&M. I'm, I'm surprised he's going to Memphis, and I got a buddy on staff at Memphis, so congrats to him because this kid can play, but – Coop, I put it on here because this recruitment was was like hilarious. Uh, kid out of Fort Myers, committed to Miami, committed to Florida State, committed to FSU, ends up signing with Texas A&M, doesn't even play there, comes out in the you know on the junior college scene, takes a visit to Auburn, and now he's going to Memphis. So um, for all those people that uh, remember Derek Hunter, he's still around, he's still kicking. Uh, it's just one of those guys that just goes from school to school to school. We'll see if he ends up getting drafted. That's an interesting – sometimes you just don't know how it works out, man, where these guys end up. And all who of a who they're they, getting advice from. Right, and they just kind of go through the pinball machine, and then all of a sudden they just they end up at the right place. It's just football. It's not all this outside noise, and they can just kind of focus on what's important. And then hopefully it clicks for them. Drew, I got, a, I got a question for you. You caught me off guard earlier, so I'm going to try to do the same here. All right, but you got, you got, this, you got this new role, right, in – a lot of responsibility comes with it. Like I remember we're talking and, and you were talking about this, like all of these guys fall under your jurisdiction, right? Top two, four, seven. What people don't understand is how difficult it is to project success from 17 and 18 years old, five years from now. to where these guys are going to be selected and one day walk across the stage or have the opportunity to walk across the stage and hold a uniform up for the for the team and organization that they're going to represent on Sundays. So to me, you have to come in to this rankings process with the mindset of, oh, we're going to miss. <laughs> we are going to miss, and we're going to miss a lot. And, you know, we have to study it a little bit more, look at success rate and see like, hey, what does a good year look like versus what, like, what is the median, right? But, you know, this top 32 brought up a lot of good discussion. I'm wondering – is there a guy inside the top 32 that maybe when you put your head on the pillow late at night that you're like, ooh, I hope we have this one right? Or is there a guy maybe outside of the top 32 when you put your head on the pillow and say, I think maybe this guy should be in? Well, let's start with the one that is going to keep me up at night, and it's the one that you know is, goes to school 15 minutes away from me. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's Hakeem Williams. Like Coop, you are you are a massive Hakeem Williams fan. I, I've followed Hakeem. I, I think at times maybe I'm too attached to the recruitment, and you know he's got all the talent. It's potential. 
you know, you tossed out the Julio Jones comp for him as in terms of what he could be. And I've been marinating on that for the past, you know, 72 hours. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I can talk myself into that. But, you know, he's as a, as a power five assistant told me, I mean, he is the, the, the biggest fish in the tiniest of ponds and, and, you know, he's going to get to a college campus and it's going to be, uh, you know, he, he's not the guy anymore and he's going to have to either sink or swim. So he's one that I, I worry about, not because of the physical traits and what he's capable of doing, but just between the ears. And I think that is the hardest thing to project. I mean, we don't, we, we're not an NFL operation setting up shop all week in Indianapolis interviewing these kids and asking them crazy questions. You know, we're, we're, we're just trying to, but, you know, paint the picture and, and do what we can uh, in terms of a guy on the outside that what you're, you're saying that like, I think should be in or, or what was the question on that? Or one? maybe that you're like, I would say that you feel pretty comfortable about the top 32, but let's, let's say we didn't have another update, right? Let's say this was it. And you're looking outside. Okay. Maybe 33 from 64. Okay. Okay. There's a guy in that range that you're like, man, I, I would not be surprised if he hits and makes us look pretty foolish here. Okay, well, I mean, this one's at 46, Jonte <laughs> Cook. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll get into our 32, but I was talking with you and, and Gabe Brooks, and I, I think you watch the film, you see him move around. It reminds me of Devontae Smith, kind of. Like, he's this smaller guy, but he's got rubber bands for knees. He changes directions extremely well. I just think guys like that are so valuable right now on on – Sundays and, and whatnot. I, and, and he's been super productive. I think he's catching roughly 5.6 passes a game as a senior. So he's someone that I'm, I really want to see at these all-star games and Hey, is he someone that we need to move up? Um, because this, this wide receiver group, I think as a whole, you know, different analysts see it different way. It's hard to find a consensus in this top group of wide receivers. And, and really, I think that stretches all the way through the top two, four, seven in terms of, um, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder or, or what's, what's the term I just butchered? Yeah, you you love that one. Ever since I told you that one, you've been you've been latching on to the, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder when it comes to the evaluation process. Um, I know you didn't ask me this, but I guess I'll answer that question, too. <laughs> I mean, I, for me, more of a case study are the two receivers from Florida, Carnell Tate at IMG and Brandon yeah. Ennis both yeah. of whom are, are committed to Brian Hartline at Ohio State. You know, Carnell Tate, for us, you have been steady. For me, I've been on the Carnell Tate roller coaster. You know, there have been times where I've loved him. There have been times that I've doubted that he is a top 32 guy. There have been times where I felt more convicted that he's a top 50 guy. And when you turn on the tape, you love the production you see from Carnell Tate. Strong physical receiver, wide catch radius, understands how to utilize his body type plays the game the right way. He is going to be a very good player at the next level in Columbus. Consecutive years, he runs a 4.7240 at IMG, right? He's not in some rural area where he hasn't been coached. This is a place that their education is in football. And the only reason I say that is because when you talk to people around the NFL, NFL circles. Speed is the priority. Speed is the traits that are being valued. And the simple fact of the matter is guys that run four seven twos aren't in the league at Carnell Tate's size. That being said, I believe Carnell Tate 
is going to play on Sundays. And when it's his time to run, whether that's at a pro day or whether that's at the NFL combine here in a couple of years, that's the one I'm going to be very curious to see what he times. The other one, Brandon Ennis to me is like, you brought it up with Amon Ross St. Brown, right? You brought it up earlier. I don't even think you knew what you brought up. <laughs> I fully expect this with Brandon Ennis in San Antonio. I expect Brandon Ennis to go out in San Antonio, the All-American Bowl against elite competition and do what he's done his entire career, dominate. Because he is an alpha, he's a competitor. But you brought up that same sentiment about Amon Ross St. Brown. And we can go back and forth and we can talk about, hey, was he selected? If we did a redraft, is Amon Ross St. Brown does he still go in the fourth round? The answer to that is probably no. But well, I, also, I, didn't, I didn't say that on the podcast. I wrote that. <laughs> no, I know. I understand. But I'm just saying, does he go into the top 32? Yeah. No, that's, that's, great. that's another question. And to me, we're going through the same process with Brandon Innes. And he's at 31 right now. We got him on the back end. And listen, I am not betting against Brandon Innes. Brandon Innes is one of those guys similar to Amon Ross St. Brown or Jarvis Landry. They know how to play the game the right way. And they're probably going to play for six to seven-plus years in the NFL out of the slot because there's always a need for that. So those are ones I'm looking at. Outside of that, Drew, this one's easy. I mean, you got to look at the guy that just – you looked at him right now and you'd be like, okay, I'd take that guy on my team. That's P.J. Atabare, you know, brother – playing at the Senior Bowl out of Northwestern, drips of NFL potential. This is the one that I have circled that, like, you're going to see him in Orlando. I won't be there. And even if he flashes, but he does it a little bit more consistently, how the hell do you justify keeping that guy out of the top 32? For sure. I think when I watch his senior cut, because you had me watch those edges back to back to back to back, I mean – he flashes, man, and like it's just now he's just now rounding like the second turn. So it was like a NASCAR track. Like he's still got three and four to go, but like you can see it, right? Like he's gonna get he's gonna get there, but it's still a major projection. But no, I I one hundred percent on board with that one. Did you watch Peter Woods? Yeah, I've got a lot of phone calls about Peter Woods. Peter Woods is in my area, and. Talk about guys that keep you up at night. Peter Woods is a guy that keeps me up at night. And I look at her top 64 and I'm like, chef's kiss. Beautiful. Look at all these guys. Malachi Coleman, 63. You're telling me a guy that's 6'4 and change and then 200 pounds plus that runs a sub 10-5 is our number 64 player and it's got really good production. That's the way it should be. Peter Woods keeps me up at night because he's a dominant player, similar to Brandon Ennis at the defensive line position. We go see him in Alabama, Mississippi. He does exactly what he's done his entire career. And then you look at him and you're like, there is no meat left on the bone. Like, this is the dude that Clemson, the guy you see today is the guy Clemson's getting tomorrow. And you just wonder, how's that going to translate? And people are like, well, how is this guy not a five-star? I'm looking at my phone right now, Clemson fan. You know, he's got words for me. How's Peter Woods not a five-star? <laughs> Well, Peter Woods is an anomaly. Peter Woods, the reason he's in the top 64 is because he is the exception to the rule. 
it was hard to justify putting Peter Woods up any further than what we had him. We had him at 54. We slid him back 59, which I absolutely hate. hate doing that, coming off a really good performance. But, you know, here's this guy, 6'2 and a half, 6'3, hovering around there, 275 pounds. They're playing him standing up off the edge. He's playing with his hand on the ground. He's play five technique and play three technique. He's kind of this tweener. And like I said, he is what he is. The arm length is a concern. And the only guy that you could look to and say, hey, this is the guy that's overcome that was a pretty good one, Aaron Donald. Now, how many other guys are there in the league like Aaron Donald, right? And I think that's a question you got to ask yourself. But, I mean, if you're a Clemson fan, like, listen, man, like, this is our opinion. We've done the homework. We've had really extensive conversations about this. From a subjective standpoint, we've watched the tape. We've seen him. We've seen the live exposure. We've taken into consideration the measurables, the competition. And this is the consensus of where we are. It doesn't mean we are right, but this is the best educated guess. You know, so that's my little soapbox on it because it always comes back on like, you guys are frauds or how'd you end up here? And it's like, we're taking our best guess at a shot in the dark of trying to figure out what these guys are going to be four to five years down the line. And guess what? It's not a math equation. It's not science. It's an art form. And even if players are similar from a trait standpoint, Drew, you mentioned it earlier in the show. Subjectively, which is where the NFL differentiates from college, is the level of financial resources invested in the psychological study of projecting performance and success. All of ours is objective outside of the subjective tape evaluation part. Point being, bottom line, it's a crapshoot. <laughs> right? It is. It is. I had to get that off my chest. It's like a sermon right there. Preach, baby. Preach, baby. All right, Drew, are we done for the day? Yeah, let's we gotta what wrap you, this what up. You, what you got the rest of the – I'm curious, man. A life in the – a life to be you now in your new life. Like what is, what's, what's the rest of the evening looking like? <laughs> I got, honestly, I, I got to go get a shirt for next week on TV, couple, bro. couple dozen oysters, little no, red there, wine. There is none of that going on here. My man. All right, guys, that is the new director of scouting, the oyster boy OG, Andrew Ivins. I'm Cooper Batagna. 24-7 sports, that's a place to be. Hearing a lot of hoopla about other places to be. 24-7 sports, that's a place to be over the next week for signing day. We got you covered, baby. Guess what? And we're convicted. We do the work. You don't agree? Come have a conversation with us. We got opinions, too. But for Andrew Ivins, I'm Cooper Patagna. We appreciate, as always, you guys listening to Oyster Boys Radio College Football Recruiting Podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Leave some comments, too. And we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.